The Jerry DePoto Show. Presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. All right, and here he is, Jerry DePoto, a man whose team just won two out of three in Yankee Stadium. They hadn't accomplished that in years. Jerry, you got to be... Uh, you got to be in a pretty good mood here on an off day. I, I'm not in a bad mood, Mike. Not in a bad mood. Luis Castillo makes his uh, Mariners debut. We win a series in Yankee Stadium and, and now get to come home with a much-needed uh, little blow. How uh, how important is it to win in that stadium and for the especially some of the younger players on this team to sort of understand what that pressure cooker is like? Well, you know, I think it was really evident in game two of the series, you know, when it, when it got down to it in the ninth inning and the bases were loaded and, and Mooney was out there trying to grind his way through it, a tired club playing without, you know, actually playing without three of our, our best hitters and and really running on fumes. We, we dug deep. We won that game, uh, came back to win game three with, uh, you know, the big debut of, of Castillo. And, and, and I think, you have to win those games to show yourself that you can't because you know that, that if we are fortunate enough to end up on the dance floor in October, it's going to run through Yankee stadium or Houston. And, you know, those are, those are the towns we just went through. As a, as a viewer of baseball for a long time, and obviously I've watched a lot of games played at Yankee stadium. It strikes me that it seems harder to get the final out of a game there than at any other park in the, in the, in the league. You know, it's, it's funny having done it in, in my lifetime. It is there. There is no place where you feel like, like the world is just shrinking around you, like you do in Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. And it's uh, you know the, the small confines. You see that short right field porch. You see that big green monster. And you know, and I, I'd have to say that without ever having experienced it, it's probably not too dissimilar with the present Astros with the Crawford boxes over there in Houston. And um, you know, it's, it, it is daunting. And those are the lessons you need to learn: or how to control your emotions in that moment. And you're facing hitters. You know, for our guys, we're such a young team you're facing guys that you probably grew up rooting for. <laughs> and this is, uh, you know, it's, it's something of, a, you know, an out-of-body experience the first time you get to do that in these historic ballparks. Well, and then you got the ghosts, right, of, of the stadium and the fans that sense blood. It just, it, it was amazing. I thought Munoz did a heck of a job to, to regather himself in that game, too. And that was one of the better b- baseball games I've watched this year. I just, I really enjoyed it as a fan. You know, I, I felt that one was a little bit like uh, Rocky One, <laughs> where it was, uh, you know, nobody was really putting up the, the gloves to defend the punches. There were just a lot of punches being thrown. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's good that we came out on, on top. And, and like I said, just winning a series, it, it's, it's been a while since we won a series at Yankee Stadium. And, and as good as they've been this year, it feels awfully good for us as a team. So you feel like you got your team now, right? I mean, this is it. No more moves, uh, certainly no more trades at this point. How do you like your team? Uh, you know, I love the the way we set up, and and I'll particularly love it in, in about six more days when we when we're sitting here looking at a lineup that includes Julio Rodriguez and Ty France and Mitch Haniger, and you know, and, and Jake Lamb. In addition to the group that we'll have on the field tomorrow once we open up this series with the Angels, and our lineup needed to get deeper. It needed to improve, and and I think the you know the, the fact that we swung the bats well tail end of this road trip. You know, and then and then follow that up with a couple of really key additions as the week goes along. It's going to be huge for us. Yeah, it strikes me. I mean, you didn't go out and get a high impact bat, and I don't say that as any sort of a shot at, at Jake Lamb. 
Um, is that because of the trust you have in the guys currently on the 26-man roster? Is that the faith in Mitch Haniger to come back, Jesse Winker to kind of refine himself? Where does that come from? You know, I think it's all those things. You, you know, Wink did not have a great month of July. He did have a great month of June and, and did some very good things over a five-week stretch. And, you know, Adam Frazier really struggled in, in June and flourished in July. So it, there wasn't a great need to go out and upgrade those positions unless you could really upgrade them. And, you know, incremental movement it's probably not worth the disruption that that causes in the clubhouse or the chance that you take when when you have guys that have track records like the players that we have and and frankly you know with the obvious exception being Juan Soto and and Josh Bell who went to San Diego and in that massive trade yesterday I I think the, the the reality is there weren't very many premium offensive players available on the market and you know we thought that upgrading over the group that we had was going to be particularly difficult. So we focused on the margins and, and the way to make small incremental upgrades to our depth. And you know, we really wanted to address uh, backup catcher, especially someone with, with as much history catching Luis Castillo as Kurt Casale has. And we feel like we were able to check the boxes that we went in with. Why Castillo? I mean, you, you cut, there were a lot of pitchers that were available this year. Why did you target him? You know, we think he's one of the best pitchers in the league and, and has been for a while now. You know, I, I think if if you look at, at pitching as disrupting the, the hitter's timing or just stuffing a major league hitter, you know, the I guess the three primaries are getting ground balls, you know, striking them out and keeping it in the ballpark. Those are the three things you do. And uh, this this I believe is is accurate to to the day, but Luis Castillo, since 2019, is the only pitcher in Major League Baseball to run a ground ball rate above 50%, uh, a home run rate of less than one per nine innings, and a strikeout rate of, of better than one per inning. And, you know, when you can combine those things, keep it on the ground, keep it in the park, and strike them out when your average velocity is 97, 98, and you've got all the weapons that he's got, he's in the prime of his career, and, and we thought this was the type of guy that, that – gives us the energy and, and really the push over these last two months. And then into 2023, that, that really appealed to us. How many aces, real true aces, do you think exist in Major League Baseball today? You know, at any given time, I, I would say there's probably 10 or 12. Okay. It's a, and, and by aces, if you mean Sandy Koufax and Tom Seaver, not many. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> I there's a reason why <laughs> those guys are Mount Rushmore. But uh I think there's always going to be something in the, the 10 to 12 range of guys who who really can walk out there and just slam the hammer down. And, you know, and we feel like in, in this time, Luis is one of those guys. And and he showed it in his debut at Yankee Stadium. That's a really tough lineup. And, you know, it's it's very hard, no matter what you've accomplished in the league, to go out and make your debut for a new team, uh, meeting your teammates for the first time, against one of the best teams in the league who, well, truly the best team in the league by wins and, and, uh, and, and to go handle it as calmly and, and easily as, as he did was a really encouraging thing. How much separation do you think there is between Castillo and some of the other pitchers that were on the market and moved here over the course of the last week? 
we, we thought it was considerable. And, you know, somebody, a friend of mine actually gave me a line. And uh, I think this was an encouragement, a, a push in was, you can either pay for the thing you want or pay more for the thing you don't. <laughs> and uh, it's, we opted for the thing we wanted. And, you know, Luis Castillo fit every criteria we were looking to achieve. And, and he's doing it right now. He's 29 years old. And minimally, we know he's got another year with the Mariners after this. And, and our hope is that, that he'll enjoy his stay in Seattle and, and choose to stay for a little longer. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Is he an extension candidate? For sure. Yeah. And I, I think that's, and that would be, you know, the the case where he traded to any of the other 28 teams is my guess is because you don't get very many opportunities to access pitchers like Luis Castillo and especially to access them when they're in their, their late twenties, early thirties, you know, as a, as a general rule, these, these types of pitchers are either extended much earlier in their career or they hit the free agent market and there is a bonanza on hand. So being able to access them via trade market on year-to-year contracts is, is you know, a very rare thing. And we felt like we had to take advantage. And, and hopefully now, like we have with some of our other starting pitchers in, in recent years, you know, stretch the contract out to, to make sure that we, we keep them in Seattle for as long as we can. There must possible. There must have been some relationship in getting this done, right? I mean, this is now the second big deal you've made uh, with the Reds over the course of the last, what, six months or so. How much relationship goes into something like that? Yeah, I think a lot. And Nick Craw with the Reds did a great job with this one. And he was incredibly good to deal with throughout. And we got a, a so much chance to work with him, really dating back, if I think about it, dating back to you know when we began our rebuild post-2018, when one of the most popular targets we had at the time was James Paxton. And one of the players that we cited as a possible fit for PAX was Luis Castillo. <laughs> so it's a, you know, we, we've been interested in Luis for many years and, and only now we're able to get him. But I, I do think it's easier when you trust your counterpart. And, you know, throughout this process, like was the case, I think, with the big Nats Padres trade, you know, it, it was established very early on what the return was going to look like. And it, it essentially boiled down to whether you wanted to, to, dive in or blink and you ran the risk if you opted not to and and believe me we gave up less in this deal than was originally asked for (laughs) but you know we we did give up uh, a fair bit to bring Luis to to Seattle and we understood in the 11th hour when we made that deal that were we not to push the button he was going to wind up elsewhere and you know we weren't willing to take that chance it had to be a swallow hard moment right I mean you're giving up two or three of your real you know better prospects what is that? How do you make that final decision? I'm sure you and Justin and the rest of the group is sort of looking at each other and saying, all right, are we willing to throw this guy also into the deal, whatever the case may be? What what was that last moment like? Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, it really wasn't about the the adding an extra guy. The the adding an extra guy in this type of deal isn't the, and I, and I don't say this in a disparaging way, because because on we loved all the players that we traded. And, you know, I, now I say that and, you know, the pain in this particular deal was in adding the, the two frontliners in this deal, both mm-hmm. in the same deal. And, you know, that was the, that in a very early on, we had to make a determination as to whether we were willing to do that. And, you know, we, we tried for weeks 
to to narrow it down to just one of them and and manage somebody else into that space and and we weren't able to do it and and ultimately obviously we we seeded and and went that route but the 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 reality is that's why you build a farm system and that's why you build depth and that's why you extend contracts to major league level and right now you know as as the season's gone along we have the second youngest team in baseball Contrary to popular belief, we did not just empty our farm system to to pay for this team today. You know, we have a very young team. We still have what we believe is a strong farm system, albeit obviously not as strong as it was when the season began uh, for obvious reasons. We did just go through a new draft where we had an influx of more talent, and we are now in a position to control our own destiny to go to the postseason with a team that is largely under control moving forward. So, all of those things really factored in. So we felt like our contention window is open and we would be irresponsible if we didn't walk through it, if the opportunity exists. You say that with the, with the window being open and, and totally agree, obviously. Is there a difference between the deadline when you are in the wild card spot but 12 games back of the division leader versus being in a spot that Houston or New York is in 10 or 12 games up in the division. Do you handle the deadline a little bit differently? I think you do. And yeah, I, I, but I can't say that you certainly do because we feel that the, you know, first the extra wildcard position really does change the dynamic a little bit. Um, in this particular instance, the, the thing that we thought was super attractive and that was necessary for us to, to make a move like we did with Luis was it, it, he exists with us moving forward. He's not just here for the final two months and, and whatever part of the postseason uh, we're fortunate enough to play in. He's here for, for the next year and two months. And, and as I said, hopefully more than that. What the, the big issue for us was not wanting to pour out real future value to buy what you would call rental players. You know, that, that is not what we were looking to do. We didn't want to pick up you know, m- much in the way of, of pending free agents and spend real prospect, uh, I guess, hit our prospect system mm-hmm. uh, any harder than we already did if that player was not you know, going to be here with us at least for another year. Were you close on anything else that didn't get done? Yeah, you know, we were involved in things for weeks and, and really right up and truly until the bell rang, we were still involved in some interesting things. And, and that's always the case. You know, we always have something going on. And, and uh, you know, Justin and our analysts, our scouting crew who are all in Seattle, did a phenomenal job of juggling a ton of balls through the, the course of this this last 72 hours, especially. And, and we were able, as a result, to be involved, even dating back to yesterday morning. And so, we, we had a chance to get involved in some really fun, big deals where we would have played smaller parts, but it didn't make sense for where we were. And, and frankly, we were you know quite happy with the way things shook out for us, as it were. Well, you mentioned what the uh, what this lineup could look like in another not even a week. Uh, let's start uh, with Mitch Hanniger because I know you you mentioned on Jim Bowden's show over the weekend that Friday could be the day. Are we still on track for Friday? Well, I, I said Friday would be the day we would reassess. Okay, to, to be you know, specific, I, I believe, but yeah, you know, Mitch played, I think seven innings last night in, in the outfield and he's been taking his turn regularly. Uh, he'll play again tonight, I believe. And as a DH, so he's been, he's been toggling back and forth between DH and, and outfield. The biggest thing for Mitch isn't about hitting a magic number of plate appearances or games in, in the outfield. It's just about when he tells us my timing feels right. 
And, you know, if, if when we tee up tomorrow to play the Angels or, or get into that series, Mitch says my timing feels right, pretty good chance he'll be playing right field or DH for us the next day. <laughs> so, you know, that's, a, that's how we're going to make that assessment. You know, one thing we do know is that we are now, you know, north of halfway through his rehab assignment. So we're getting closer. You know, sometime in the next week, we know Mitch will be back in our lineup, barring, you know, any setback or, or future injury. So, you know, that much we, we have in our favor. We do believe that Ty will be in the, in the lineup tomorrow against the Angels, and, and we think we're six days out from, from getting Julio back in uh, the day he's eligible. And the same with Dylan Moore. Hey, did you hear any of this stuff, That this idea that the, the Mariners have a reputation? And it, it kind of came out of the Houston series after a couple of hit-by-pitches, and certainly the, the, the evidence doesn't back this up based on the number of times your team has been hit versus the number of times you've hit other players. But it, it sounded like some of the members of the media in, in Houston were trying to claim there was a Mariner reputation for this. What do you make of that? Uh, kind of... It, uh to use a word that probably hasn't been cast about since the fifties, bunch of hooey, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a it's you good radio word as you go along. It's yeah, it's just not, it's, it's not, it's not accurate. It's not sensible. I've never heard that before. And, you know, our, our, our staff, our players have done as you have dealt with, they, they do a wonderful job of staying engaged, of, of, of acting responsibly. They're good people. And, you know, George let one get away. It's a, it's as simple as that. I don't think that Jose Altuve thought there was anything nefarious going on. And, and my guess was if he, if he even did, Carlos Santana put the kibosh on it when he got the first base. Carlos Santana's a veteran. And I know that's an obvious statement, but when you see him out there, he really exudes it. Carlos is a stud. And, and I think it, you know, we, we acquired Kurt Casale, we acquired Jake Lamb, we've acquired Matt Boyd and, and Luis Castillo. And, you know, we also acquired Carlos Santana shortly before the deadline. And, and that's not something that I think anybody should sweep under the rug because while, you know, the numbers haven't been gaudy, the productivity has been, you know, incredibly timely. And what he's done for our, you know, clubhouse, for our, our, our team community has been off the charts good. And I, and I think any one of the players, and I know Scott and the staff will tell you that that's the case. He, he's been huge for us. And, and uh, you know, we have been the best version of ourselves since the day Carlos arrived. And, and you know, we were for the longest time riding a, a high. And obviously it's easy to, to get down and forget how good it was going because three of our best hitters are sitting on the IL and we're playing the Astros and the Yankees for what seems like a month straight, but you know, we can hit, you know, we just happen to face the best pitching stabs in the league for the last 10 days. And, and uh, we'll bounce back. And my guess is that Carlos will not let the guys drop their heads because he knows better. So speaking of pitching staffs, you now have six starters uh, on, in your rotation. What does that look like here? And how do you play that out over the course of the next almost two months? You know, we're going we're gonna to sit down and talk specifics. We knew that, that upon acquiring Luis last Saturday that minimally we were going to need six starters the next two trips through because of the split doubleheader uh, against the Angels on Saturday. So, you know, it'll give – with the off days and the split doubleheader, everybody will pitch on their sixth day. We won't yet make a determination, you know, for, for how to, to shuffle our staff around. I do think we're leaning against running with six starters. So, 
you know, what we, we may do something along the lines of, of, a, of a piggyback where, you know, two starters, you know, share a game. And, you know, that's something that we would like to do to try to help George manage the, the, the innings total. But, you know, there's, for instance, when you throw the way George did in his first start back after the break and 51 pitches over five with no stress, those five aren't really concerning, but you know, then on Sunday in Houston, that those were high stress pitches, especially in the first inning. So, you know, we're trying to manage that. And, you know, we, we also have the, the possibility of, of just putting one of the starters in the bullpen and, and having them, you know, serve as, as more of a long guy. I don't think we'll do that because we don't want to shorten the starters up. Part of the appeal in acquiring Louie was to, to make sure that we had the, the kind of thunder that you'll need in the season's last two months and depth in your rotation. And, and if we shorten those guys up, we're probably not going to, to achieve that. So uh, we'll be creative and I think we'll, we'll do the right thing, but we want to make sure that all six of our starters are getting ample chance to contribute. Jerry, I'm sure I'm not rooting for him as hard as you are, but I'm really rooting for Jared Kelnick this time around. I was, I was really excited for him when he hit the home run why did you call him up? What went into that decision? Well, necessity is the first answer. Uh, you know, we we saw so many guys go down, and we knew Ty couldn't play, and Julio was going to the IL. Uh, as soon as as soon as we saw you know, the the all the issues beginning on Saturday night in Houston, the first call we made was to JK, and, and we got him on a plane headed toward toward Houston. And as you saw with the addition of, of Jack Larson, we also had Jake Shiner there as a taxi squatter from from uh, our AA club because they were in Tulsa and they're the only ones that could get there in time for the game. But, you know, like Jared has performed very well since we, he was sent to AAA earlier in the season. Uh, we were intent on giving him time to make the necessary adjustments. Uh, he's, I, I was more thrilled than you can imagine when he hit the home run off Garrett Cole on, on Wednesday. And, and, you know, that's, those are big moments. It's Yankee stadium. Garrett Cole is one of the best pitchers in baseball and, and, and he delivered when the team needed him. And it's a, that has to feel good for him. And this is, I think all very good and part of Jared's growth. And, and I know for us to continue to succeed, as we move into the future, we're going to need Jared to, to contribute in those types of ways. And, and this was a step in the right direction, and I'm pumped for him that it happened. I, uh, I asked you about this last week, but I'll throw it out there again just because of the way the deadline went. Um, if all these guys are about to return, and we hope by next week you guys are at peak health, is there some possibility of Ty France playing a little bit of second base? I know we saw it out of necessity the other day, and of course the, the ball found him to, to end the game. Is there a chance we'll see more of that to get all of those bats in the lineup at once? You know, I don't think so. Because partly what we're dealing with right now, with, with Ty uh, taking the last, uh, you know, three games or three and a half games actually uh, and not playing, it's we want to make sure that we keep Ty's bat doing the things that his bat does. And, you know, he's he's an excellent first baseman. He's done a great job for us since he's taken that, that, that role every day. You might see a scenario like we saw in Houston uh, last Saturday night with Ty, but that's only going to be if it's absolutely necessary. I don't think any of us has designs on, on doing that. Um, you know, it could be that we see a, a tough left-hander and everybody wants to get uh, creative and magical and Ty thinks it's a good idea, but he's been banged up enough this year that the most important thing we can do for Ty is make sure that, that he is playing as regularly as, as he can 
and getting his four or five plate appearances. And it's going to be a heck of a lot easier between first base and DH. Well, this is real fun right now, that's for sure. Past the trade deadline, two out of three in New York, big series against the Angels this weekend. Jerry, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. All right, Mike. Appreciate